You're listening to a devotion by Christ Baptist Church. For more resources, visit our website at ChristBaptist.org. In case any of you missed the announcement last week and are wondering what happened to Monday's daily devotional, uh, let me remind you that this week begins a revised schedule, whereas we before I had been publishing uh, devotionals on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and we had the ministry moment on Friday. Uh, moving forward, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, we'll be looking at doing, I'll be looking at posting daily devotionals on uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and then we will have the ministry moment that informs you as to what's going on at Christ Baptist on Thursdays. If, and just a reminder, if you get the email uh, that uh, that is sent to you whenever a devotional is posted or a ministry moment is po- posted, you will still get that. You can still use your favorite uh, feeds for uh, podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iTunes in order to get these. Uh, so all of that still works. And of course, you can go online to the website and find all of this under the newly revamped resources page. Well, last week, we began thinking about the Great Awakening in the 18th century. And we saw that <clears throat> it was brought about by <clears throat> excuse me, by God's mighty work uh, through George Whitfield and John Wesley, and Charles Wesley, and uh, and many others. Uh, We noted that the preaching during this period was what I would call arresting. Uh, There was personal engagement. There was the idea of call and response, the preacher calling out to the people, calling them to respond, and they would actually verbally respond back to him sometimes, and there would be that back and forth. We also noted that the, uh, there were some innovative methods that were used. Uh, many preachers were itinerant. This was a brand new idea. Um, well, brand new. It had been used in the Middle Ages, but it had not been used for a long time. Um, and the idea was that preachers would move around. They wouldn't be in one parish church in one location with one congregation. They would move around. And along with this, we saw uh, what was, again, considered an innovative uh, innovative, uh, method, at least for its day, was preaching outdoors. And this allowed the possibility of reaching many, many more people, Uh, people who had not heard the gospel, people who needed to uh, and had maybe heard something of the gospel but could not be in church for one reason or another. Well, another interesting aspect of ministry and outreach during the Great Awakening is the development of small groups. It's funny how we can sometimes fall into thinking that what we do today is brand new and exciting and different, when in fact, it's all been done before in one shape or form. Um, Here, in the area of small groups, John Wesley excelled far more than uh, George Whitfield did. Uh, the small groups were needed, you might ask, what, how did, what was the function of these small groups? Well, the small groups were needed in villages and hamlets and in various areas of the country, oftentimes here in the United States, um, where there was no church, but there was a group of new believers. There was nowhere for them to worship. Or if there was a church, it did not preach the gospel, and so they needed to uh, be distinct. Uh, and what happened was, the, the, say, John Wesley, he would gather together uh, as he had been preaching for perhaps several weeks or maybe even just a few days, but he'd been preaching for a while. And um, he would take all those who had professed faith in Christ and he would appoint one of them as their leader, clearly just a, a lay leader, nobody who was ordained or uh, prepared or anything like that, but just somebody who would be considered the leader. 
And then Wesley, or the evangelist, whoever it was, would try to help lay out for the leader the things that they needed to do between the time that Wesley left and the time that he would then return. Because, of course, again, these are itinerant preachers. Uh, they're riding on these circuits, and they're coming back eventually. And so there would be this, um, this opportunity for this lay leader to, to, to help lead these new believers in their faith. Um, but as they did so, uh, of course, they needed direction until the next time Wesley or whoever it was would return. Um, and the point was not only, of course, to try and keep people in the Bible, but it was also to provide a sense of uh, cohesion and consistency to what was essentially becoming a new church, a new church plant. Well, if you know a bit about your church history at this stage, you might be wondering about the relationship between these small groups and what would become the Methodist denomination that Wesley had a part in starting. I say had a part in starting, that's actually a whole other story that we don't have time to get into today. But the short answer is yes, these groups, these small groups started by these Great Awakening preachers, including John Wesley, um, did have a part to play in what would eventually become the Methodists in the late 18th and the early 19th centuries. Now, this point about small groups uh, with leaders uh, leads directly into another characteristic of the Great Awakening, and that is the use of local people. For most of history, when a congregation needs a pastor, the man that they call uh, and the man who comes is usually from outside of the community. The reason for this is quite simple. Most communities, particularly in, in the 8th, 16th, 17th, 18th, even 19th century, most communities um, did not raise up pastors or ministers of the gospels. Uh, they were raising up people who could fulfill the very practical everyday functions of life, uh, having the, the blacksmith, uh, having uh, the, um, uh, you know, the farmers who were, were tending to the, the cattle and so to the, to the land and uh, cattle and, and, of course, the hog farmers, probably the single most important member of the community. Anyway, all of these people um, were, were attending to these things, and so preparing pastors was not high on their list. Now, using local people, uh, sorry, using um, somebody from inside or outside, um, you know, there's, no, there's no right or wrong to that, but using local people um, did provide some advantages. For example, a local man already knows the people, the relationships, and dare I say it, some of the landmines, relationally speaking, and therefore someone who is local has the hope of navigating those better uh, at the beginning of his time as a leader of this new body of believers than somebody coming in from the outside who would have no idea and would sort of bungle along and, you know, it would take some time to get used to these things. Another good example or a good reason to use local men uh, <clears throat> for, for leading these is uh, that hopefully the one who's chosen to lead this, uh, essentially this church plant, already has a good standing in the community. So there's no need to build that up over time where people think, can I trust this person? Can I not? Uh, no, it's, it's already there. Now, in addition to an arresting delivery of the sermon uh, and messages to itinerancy, to the development of small groups, and in addition to the use of local people, all of which are characteristics of the Great Awakening, another positive that came out of this was a growing missionary zeal. The 18th century saw a renewed interest 
in missionary activity uh, for faraway places. There had always been missionary activity uh, fairly close, uh, but they're actually returning to some medieval and ancient uh, church roots by beginning, and right back to the book of Acts, of being interested in places that are far more distant. Um, there was, of course, still a keen interest for evangelism and church planting within the local area, but it's, it's fascinating to see the 18th century as a kind of renewal of interest of distant missionary activity, which is really encouraging to see. Well, bringing this to a close, as I reflect on just these developments, and tomorrow we'll see some more developments within the Great Awakening, but as I reflect on these developments, I'd like to uh, emphasize something if I could. Just as we have small groups, and just as we have Bible study leaders in our midst, in our, here in our city, as well as our church, and just as we have, therefore, local people who are leading others, all of this is good, we should not forget what our 18th century forebears did. They continued to train and to study and to learn. So I would say to you, I don't think there's anything wrong. In fact, I encourage people not to be fearful of stepping up and, and entering into a place of, of, of discipling others. That is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But as you do that, do not neglect the perpetual need to be discipled and to grow uh, in that position as a discipler. We can always continue to learn and grow in our, and, and deepen in our faith and our understanding of God's Word. And so do not shy away from opportunities as they present themselves, but also do not shy away from the opportunity to continue to deepen your faith that your discipling ministry might indeed grow deeper and be more effective and used to the glory of God.